Let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 21. Last, uh, last week we looked at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. You remember the pictures I had there? Um, and uh, the entry of the king, the final approach, the last week. You remember, anybody remember how many, uh, what's the average of the number of chapters of the Gospels that cover the last week of, of the life of Jesus? Anybody remember? One third, exactly. So that's a lot. One third covers the very last week, and some of the Gospels are more than others, uh, but it averages out to be about that. And so he's coming in on the final approach, uh, and his sights are set on the cross. He sends two of his disciples ahead of him to get things ready, and you know he, he, he wants to use us. He, he wants us to be involved. And he sends two of them, and and he sends them there, and they did just as he instructed them, and, and sure enough, it turned out just as he said that it would be. And so as he enters the city, he's fulfilling the prophecies of the Messiah that, that, that are in Zechariah 9 and in other places, and, and uh, he, he did come to bring peace, but not as they expected. He, brought, he came to bring that peace with God. So if you look at verse 9, let's read those verse, verses again before we start uh, in verse 12. But let's read 9 through 11 first. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And they asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. In Galilee, save now, the, that word Hosanna means, save now. It's a prayer and also an exclamation of praise. Who is this guy? Who is this one coming in? This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, the one that we've been waiting for, the Messiah, the King, the ruler. But as we talked about last week, he didn't come to rule this time, did he? He's going to return. But on, on his first coming, he came to pay the price for our sins, to die for our sins, to be crucified to the cross and the resurrection. The second time he returns, it will be to rule and to reign. Now today we look it up, we look at, we pick it up in verse 12. Jesus, he comes into the city and the first place he goes to is where? Is the temple, the temple area. John Corson said these words. He said, when Jesus came into the city, the multitude must have thought he would head straight for the fortress Antonia to deal with the Romans. Instead, he went into the temple to deal with the Jews. They thought he was going to come again and set up the kingdom. That's what they, they were expecting and hoping, waiting for. Somebody who would come and deal with those Roman oppressors. Instead, he went into the temple to deal with the Jews. And we have what we call here the cleansing or the temp of, of the temple. Now, just a little bit of history about the temple. The temple was first built by who? King Solomon, King Solomon right? And, and, and then that temple was destroyed, right? By the Babylonians when they came and took the Jewish people away. And then the temple was then rebuilt by somebody else. Who built, who rebuilt, who built the second temple, we call it? Zerubbabel, right. Zerubbabel came in, and out of the rubble built, Zerubbabel out of the rubble built the second temple, right? Did you, did you follow that? 
Now, some people call this the third temple, where Jesus is now coming into Jerusalem. Some people call it the third temple, or the second temple, and then the third temple will be the one that is yet to be rebuilt. But this, this temple that was, was there in Jesus' day was called what? Herod's temple, which Herod came and he expanded and made much bigger Zerubbabel's temple uh, and all the surrounding area of, uh, of the uh, temple that was rebuilt by Zerubbabel. Herod expanded it, took a long time. And this particular temple, the one that Herod expanded, the one that Jesus is now coming into in the city of Jerusalem, was also destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. So there's, no, there's therefore now no temple standing in Jerusalem, right? Just, most of you know that already, but just, just uh, for those of you that are still learning, there's no temple standing in Jerusalem. Up on the Temple Mount, there are, are a couple of mosques up there. It's a very tense area. Uh, but uh, the talking about you know, the rebuilding of the temple, there are people that are, that are actively preparing all the implements and all the, uh, the instruments and and uh, everything that the temple would be rebuilt. But that's for another time to talk about. So anyways, look at verse 12 there. It says that Jesus entered the temple area, and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. So I've got this uh, picture for you up here, and and, uh, you'll see that... This is pretty much the layout of the, the temple that Herod, Herod had built. In that temple courtyard, the Gentiles court, the big giant area, this is where all this activity is taking place. And then you have like a, a court of the women and then the court of Israel and then the, the court of the priests. The closer you get to the altar and then in the holy place and then the most holy place where only the high priest could go and that only once a year. But this area, the whole area was really a, an area to worship God. Can you go to the next one? And, and this is kind of like what it would look like in um, uh, illustration. And, and uh, so you have this whole giant area. But once you entered into that area, really it was an area to worship God. And that, that was the purpose, to meet with God. And, and so in this, this, uh, these open areas, this is where all this activity was taking place, if you can kind of picture it. Next one. This is uh, um, in the city of Jerusalem. They have uh, people who have built a scale model of the old city of Jerusalem. And this is, this is actually a scale model of that, what, we, what you just saw, the Herod's temple. In fact, in the back, if you look up at the top, you can see people up there. See the two people standing there? So this is kind of a, so you, can, you walk all the way around and you see the old city of Jerusalem. Up on the far right corner of the uh, temple walls there is, is the fortress Antonia that uh, John Corson was speaking about. The Romans had their own sort of, uh, you know, uh, fort there, right attached to the side of, of the temple area. But you can see it's a pretty large area that surrounds the temple proper in this whole temple area. And, and so that place there was full of animals, full of people, had tables and, and, and all kinds of crazy things going on there. Jesus entered this temple area, it says, and, and it says that he... Um, drove out all who were buying and selling there, overturned the tables of the money changers, the benches of those selling doves. He, he, just, he went in there and it was, he was obviously not very happy with what was taking place in the temple area. 
some things to keep in mind, though. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. As I mentioned, the temple is not standing right now. The temple is not standing right now, but I want you to see something that Paul's, Paul writes about here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. It says there, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Now, these words are speaking corporately, speaking to a group of people, the church. Corporately, you are God's temple. And then look ahead to chapter 6, though, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And he's speaking individually here now, uh, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So corporately, we have the temple, the church, the corporate, the body of Christ, but we also have individually, you and I are temples of God, of the Holy Spirit. And we need to keep these things in mind when we're talking about this cleansing of the temple. It's not just something that happened, you know, 2,000 years ago. It has relevance to you and I today. Jesus shows us in this passage what shouldn't be there, right? But he also shows us what should be there. There's certain things that shouldn't be in the temple, in the temple area. There's are certain things that should be there, and so we'll see that. The first thing we see is what shouldn't be there, and it says he drove out all those who were buying and selling. And notice that the language there he uses, it says uh, that, that Matthew uses, he drove out. He drove them out. That doesn't sound very gentle, does it? Well, I'd like it if you'd all leave now. Yeah. No, it says he drove them out. It says he overturned the tables of the money changers. He, he went in and ra he did radical. It was a madhouse what was happening there. Now, people needed animals, right, for the sacrifices. It was a need. As they would come into the city of Jerusalem, Passover time, they would, they would need animals for the sacrifices. And if they lived very far away, you know, for them to bring the animals a long distance, it's a difficult thing to do. And then... Also, the animal had to be, uh, um, you know, without blemish. But what began to happen was these, the, these religious leaders, these ones that were controlling all this, uh, from the high priest on down, they, they, they turned it into a business. They turned it into a big business. And, and let's say you did bring an animal from far away, they would say, oh, no, that one's no good. You've got to buy from us. You've got you to get it from us. And so they were taking advantage of people. It was dishonest. They were overcharging. They were making profit over the people who were coming for one reason. They were coming to worship. One commentator, one pastor said this. He said the court was like a furious bargain day in an oriental market. The worship of God was forgotten. The worship of mammon prevailed. And Jesus drove out the greedy, noisy traitors. This radical stuff that was happening, this stuff that should not happen, and all of this now in the temple. Now applying that to what, I, what we just read in 1 Corinthians 6, in the, in the temple of the church, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in, 
in you and I that we individually are temple of the Holy Spirit. Things that are happening, something's not right there. And it can be true also as well that something's not right with us corporately. And then with us individually. And Jesus came, he came to push it out. He came to drive it out, to, to overturn what should not be. Say, wait a minute, this is getting a little too close to home now, I think. Within me, there are things that should not be. Jesus, you know, it's not all about, we think, well, it's all about the people out there. Well, Jesus always comes and works in the people in here first. He comes and works in me first. You look at the book of Revelation and, and uh, you know, there, he's going to deal with the world. He's going to deal with the whole, you know, the whole uh, uh, system. But who does he come and deal with first? The church in the first chapters of Revelation. He deals with the church. He deals with us. All this is going on there, and, and uh, it happens in our lives as well. But, but I find, too, that it, sometimes it takes this radical action. Radical things have to take place before these things will get, deal, will get dealt with. Someone said this, anything dishonest or unholy must be driven out of our lives. Let me say that again. Anything dishonest or unholy must be driven out of our lives. I, you know, again, when we look at the church today, and, and, and we've, I've seen it in my, in my uh, life as, as a believer, I've seen it where, you know, where you see these churches and you see these different people who it's all about... Um, you know, profit and greed and, and, and guys that are flying around in Learjets and, and this kind of thing. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shame. It's a travesty. It's not the way that it should be. And Jesus, I believe he will take action. And you wonder, like, Jesus, when are you going to take action? Because, like, it's, you know, it's a bad witness. This, again, this area around, around the temple proper was the, called the Court of the Gentiles. It was a place of witness. It was a place where, where those that were not born Jewish could come and, and seek after God. Now, this particular uh, occasion here in Matthew 21 and in the other Gospels as well is the second time, right? This is the second time that Jesus has come and cleared the temple. It happened the first time early on in his ministry, John chapter 2, and, and he came in. And it was, you know, there are different details. We know, you know, I believe it's a different occasion, a different occurrence, which makes you think it had to be done again. Wasn't the first time enough? Oh, I wish that was the case, wasn't it? I wish that was the case in us. You know, he, he wants to deal with stuff and he, he has to keep coming back and again and again and, and taking care of those, those things in our lives. Again, John, John Corson, uh, pastor from Oregon, he says, because I myself am a temple, the Lord has to come and overturn the tables of my life. And although I wish that this were a one-time process, it's not. Just when I think I've learned a lesson, suddenly I find the old junk back in my temple once again. And then the Lord comes in faithfully and deals with it radically. The Lord not only desires purity in our temples individually, but also corporately. He desires purity in our temples individually, but also corporately. It's His house. We are His house. We read that. We're bought with a price. 
He paid a very dear price. He, he gave his life. He gave his blood. He shed his blood for you and I that we were bought with a price. Sometimes he needs to come in and, and he'll take radical action to get, to get stuff out. But we need to let him do it. You know, uh, you know, in construction, when you need to change some things within the house, sometimes you need to get in there. And I'm, I'm pretty good at this part where you come in and tear stuff up. I'm not so good about putting it all back together again. But I can get in there with a hammer and I'm ready to, to tear stuff up. And, and then I tear stuff up. Maybe it shouldn't get torn up. But, but you, know, you, know, you, you know what I'm saying? But sometimes you got to get in there and, and the Lord let the Lord get in there and, and, and do some serious surgery, serious work within us and, and, and tearing stuff up in that radical uh, cleaning house that, that only He can do. Now, in verse 13, we, see, we begin to see what should be there. He needs to clear junk out, but He also wants to see things within the church, within our lives. Within the temple, verse 13, what does he say? The first words he says is, It is written, he said to them. My house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it, you have made it or you are making it a den of robbers. What are the first words he says there to them? It is written. What does that speak about? The word, right, the word of God, the scriptures. The word of God that, that, that we read, that we study, that we... That we uh, live by that we understand as he helps us to understand without the bible man what what good is it you know go to the the elks lodge or go somewhere else if if we're not going to study god's word there's no point in getting together it's the it's the word that he's given to us and and so again that's for the church too and and there are many places where you can go don't bother bringing a bible because you won't need one and they call it a church i don't know what it is it's not a church it's not a church in the biblical sense anyways. But you know, that has to, that has to filter down into our own lives too, where we, have, we, have, we reread the Bible too, where we read God's Word too. Say, well, I don't know, I can't understand it. Well, just read it. God will help you. His Holy Spirit, if we're temples of the Holy Spirit, He lives within us, He will help us understand it. Find a version that you can understand and read. I know when I first became a believer, I read the... the uh, J.B. Phillips edition, J.B. Phillips version, uh, which is called, uh, that's a long time ago. It's called something. But I could read it, and when I read it, I understood it. You see, you need, you need to find a version. We've got so many versions now that there's no excuse to not find something that you can read and understand. There's no excuse whatsoever for you and me to say, well, I don't understand the Bible, so it's like this closed on top of the coffee table or on the shelf or whatever. It is written. He goes into the temple, and the first, things he, the first thing he says there is, it is written. We need to have God's Word in that temple within us. What's going to help us when we face those trials and troubles? It's God's Word. It's not the philosophy of man. It's not the wisdom of man. It's going to be God's Word. The promises of God. That, that song we sang about, we stand and, and see what God will do, that is out of God's word. Where we, where we show up, read 2 Chronicles 20, one of my favorite chapters where you see, you know, uh, show up. God will fight the battle, but you need to show up. You need to stand up and see what, what God will do. 
The Word of God, the Scriptures, the truth in our churches, in our lives. What else? What else do we see there in verse 13? He says, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. Notice it's his house, first of all. But he says that prayer should be a part of it too. And and, uh, prayer, you know, I think God is stirring us up and he has been in the last uh, six months or so to stir us up to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray continually or pray without ceasing. He says in Ephesians 6, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on, keep on praying for all the saints. Prayer, we have prayer before service. We have prayer after service. We have prayer during service. We have prayer. We come together for different meetings. We have time of prayer. We have a time of prayer on Wednesday night, which is, I believe is beginning to, to you know, build this foundation of prayer again into our fellowship and, 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 and stir things up. I read in the New Calvary magazine, which uh, uh, I recommend. It's on the back table. If you, if you want to take a copy, one for family, please do. They're free. We provide those. But I read in there, uh, Bob Coy was talking about the same sort of thing happening in his church down in Fort Lauderdale in Florida, that there's this groundswell of prayer that needs to be taking place, and that's taking place in their church down there, and it's one of the biggest churches in America. It doesn't matter the size of the church, it matters the heart of the church, and prayer is the heart of the church. Pray. Prayer. My house will be called a house of prayer. You have needs. I love, I love it when people come after, the, after church and, and you come and now we have this place at the foot of the cross for you to come and, 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 and you need prayer, please come. Don't be afraid. There's a group of people here, men and women, who will pray for you and you don't even need to tell them what your need is. Just tell them, can you just pray for me? It's, it's personal. They'll pray for you. But I've seen God answer prayer over and over again. If we don't pray, we don't see the answers. Luke adds on this, um, on this score as well that it would, that in, in quoting from the, the passage in Isaiah that Jesus is quoting from, that it's a house of prayer for all nations. And one of the things we pray about, and we pray every, every Sunday uh, for our different missionary efforts that we're trying to reach in different parts of the world. It's a place of prayer, a house of prayer for all nations. But he says you're making it a den of robbers. A den of robbers, quoting from from, uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter 7. Certainly wasn't a Boy Scout den, I noticed. It was a den of robbers, a place where the robbers would hang out. When you think about this and you think about why was it even built in the first place, and you go back and you read about you know, when it was first built and the glory of God came and, and Solomon's prayer that, that people's hearts would be moved and the glory of God fell on that place. And now Jesus comes in. And it's no wonder we read last week that when he came and looked out over the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it. And can you imagine now, now his weeping turns to anger and, 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 he, and it just wasn't right. And he, and he did something about it. It was an unholy place shouldn't be the church, shouldn't be our own lives. What else should be there? Look at verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, 
and it says he healed them. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. The, the house of the Lord, God's house, my house, he said, well, not only does it have the word of God and not only does it have prayer, but it's also a place where people are, are touched and healed by God. It's a place of healing. It's a place where people's lives are changed when we gather together, where, where you and I are changed where we grow and we learn and God does something in our lives. And, and even as we bring physical needs and we ask for prayer and God has power to heal. Sometimes we're afraid. We don't, we're afraid to come and ask for prayer. But, but God wants, to, wants this to be a place of healing. I spoke to a, a gentleman uh, a number of days ago. And, you know, he was... He, was, uh, he, he professed that he had faith. He professed that he had a knowledge and understanding of Jesus, but, but he, he never gets involved in churches anymore. Well, you know, I saw this and I saw that there, and so I don't ever go anymore. And I wonder, you know, I said to him, you're missing out. You're, mess, you're missing out on God's word, but, but I think he's also missing out on a, an opportunity for, for people to love one another, people to encourage one another, strengthen one another, and pray for one another that we could be healed. And I think we all need healing to one degree or another. We're all messed up. I don't know about you. I'm not going to tell you how messed up I am. You'll stop coming. Don't pray for you. I've been healed. Through the years, I've, God's healed me because I know people have prayed for me. And I know people do. And I ask, it, and I, please don't stop praying for me. And I know that God has, has, has healed me in a lot of ways and, and through the years and, and, and uh, being part of a, the body of Christ, not just here but in other places where I was a part of the body, God has healed and God is healing me. But I know he can do it for you too because he's done it for me and, I, and I'm convinced. What else should be there? Look at verse 15. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you see what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. What else should be there? Praise and worship. This is what we see there acknowledging who Jesus is. And how could that happen? How could that possibly happen when the place was full of all kinds of garbage, all kinds of animals? And, you know, it would be a little difficult, if you can imagine, trying to sing and praise and worship if, you know, there are animals wandering around through this place in here. It would smell, right? It would be loud. It would be very distracting. Yeah, this new carpet. You know, not that, you know, it, not that praise and worship should be quiet and sedate. I talked about that a few weeks ago. These kids were shouting. They were, they were going for it. They weren't afraid. He says, do you hear what these children are saying? Well, who couldn't hear them because they were so enthusiastic? And again, he says, have you never read? Yes, replied Jesus, uh, uh, have you never read? And again, he quotes the word. He always goes back to the scriptures, always goes back to the word. 
And he quotes that about the lips of children. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. There's something about children and that, you know, that, they're, that they're not inhibited like you and I are. The capacity of children to, to simply just praise and thank God. We talked about that a number of weeks back where we need to be childlike in our faith. Not childish, but childlike where we can simply say, God, thank you. God, you're so awesome. God, I worship you. He said, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And, 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 but it continues, unless, unless we change and become like little children, how can we ever truly worship? We're here, well, I'm an adult, you know, I don't do things like this. Those kids' songs they sing like that make me a servant. That's a kid's song, you know. My God is so big, so strong, and so... I don't sing those songs. That kids sing those songs. I'm, old. I'm an adult now. I'm going to sing, you know... Uh... You know, what, what is up with that? Why can't we worship? Why can't we sing to the Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords? Why can't we let loose like children do? Someone said this, one commentator, McDonald, said, Children often have spiritual insight beyond their years, and their words of faith and love bring unusual glory to the name of the Lord. I like that. Their words of faith and love bring unusual glory to the name of the Lord. Because it's so simple, and it's so heartfelt, and it's so real. D.A. Carson uh, said these words. He said, the children have picked up the cry of the earlier procession, and lacking inhibitions and skepticism, they enthusiastically repeat the chant, arriving at the truth more quickly than those who think themselves wise and knowledgeable. <laughs> That's us, by the way. We think ourselves wise and knowledgeable. I, I, I just long and I pray and, and, and just seek that, that this would be a place of worship and praise and that we would not hold back. That, that in the summertime when we open the windows, the, the neighbors would go, wow, what's going on over there? They hear the music and we've heard about it. They say, oh, I like, I like to hear your music uh, over there. But that they would hear our voices too, men and women. I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to be uh, encouraging here, and, uh, you know, but I, I have such a burden for this that, that, that we would be set free to worship the Lord. But it gets down to us individually, you see. Each one of us needs to be willing to say, okay. They got the words up on the screen. The music's there. They're, they're almost in key. They're almost tuned. And, and you know, I guess I could sing a little bit. I could, I could sing that, that line. And just try, open your mouth a little bit and see what comes out. I can't hear you. My hearing is starting to go. I can't hear you. If it's bad, it's bad. I don't care. But God hears, and God hears the heart. God hears the heart. Quoting, Jesus is quoting here Psalm 8, verse 2. And let me read to you that whole verse. Because this is, this, this is exciting, but also dangerous, because it says, From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. 
to silence the foe and the avenger. There's something about worship and praise, you see, that is also part of spiritual warfare, that to silence the enemy, you see. If you go back, again, I mentioned uh, 2 Chronicles 20, you go back there and read that, what happens there is that Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat sends out the singers at the very front of the army. And they get there, and they find that the enemy is, is devastated. They, you know, God sent ambushes. The Lord sent ambushes. And then they began to fight against each other. And they get there. They got all the singing going on. They're still kind of fearful because it's a vast army they're going to face. But they get there, and, and the, the army, is, they're devastated. The, the enemy has been devastated. But you see praise and worship at the head. You see you read some of the Psalms of David, and, and I'm belaboring the point because it's one of my favorite points. But David, you know, he had these songs in the night. He talks about his songs in the night. You know, do you have a song in your heart? Do you have a song in your head at night? Sometimes, sometimes for me, uh, you know, like I said, I'm kind of messed up. You know, I, I, learn, I learn these songs, and I'll, and I'll work on them, and you gotta, to learn them, you've got to, like, play them over and over again, right? And so then I get this particular song in my head, and then at nighttime, it's like playing over and over, and I'm going, stop! You know, let's play a different song. But it's the same song, because it's like I've played it so many times. But, but I notice when I'm not involved with music, good, good Christian worship and praise, my, my, my brain starts to be like, like dead and, and like down. And I know, and I know I need, to, I need to get some music in my life. I need to get some, some praise and worship into my life. How many of us, how many of us, we're, we're listening to, to uh, um, you know, all the, all the stations that are available. I can't even think of the names of them right now, but, you know, uh, Light 105 and, and you know, uh, cat country, such and such, and we're listening to all these things, and we've got all that stuff coming in, and we wonder why, man, I'm just not really very happy. I don't have much of a song in my heart. Well, when you're singing about, you know, so-and-so cheating on so-and-so, and, and, you know, how bad it is, and uh, I'm going to go kill so-and-so because he did this, and, and uh, you know, I want that girl over there, but she doesn't want me, and, and, and when you've got all this stuff, fill in your heart and mind? Is it any wonder? Maybe that's some of the stuff we need to get out and bring in some, something that's worthwhile. Go get yourself a worship CD, play it in your car. Again, it's like the, the versions of the Bible. Nowadays, there, there's so much different styles of Christian music. It used to be there was just a little bit and the quality was like pretty low. But it's, an, it's, it's phenomenal now. You can find every type of Christian music now. The quality is very, very good. And you can play that in your car. You can play that on your iPod. And fill your heart with something that's positive, that's got some redeeming value. Man, I'm on a soapbox today. This is crazy. Music. I've been a musician all my life, really. I used, to, I used to sing, you know, Beatles songs when I was just a kid. And, you know, I would, I would hitchhike wherever I went, and I don't recommend that. 
That's a very dangerous thing now, especially much worse than other. But I'd, I'd hitchhike, and it takes so long to get a ride. I don't know, maybe because I looked a little crazy or something. But, but, you know, I'd sing songs there. But, you know, they didn't do much for me. But now I sing songs that, you know, that, that, that help me in the battle of life. That, that I got a song in my heart. I read a, a devotional. Barbara and I are reading the same devotional because it's, it's called uh, Traveling Toward Sunrise, kind of the end. You know, we're, we're working together on this, right, Barbara? And, uh, you know, there was in there uh, uh, one of the devotions, one of a prayer was that, you know, God, there's no music in my life. God, bring, bring a song into my life. Bring a song into my life. Again, I started all this because of the kids. Because of the kids, because being childlike and, and what children do. And, 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 you know, we have a whole worship uh, ministry that we're, we're working with the children to, to help them, be, encourage them to worship and praise. And, and I, you know, I'm so excited about that. Larry, uh, when he came and did the seminar for us about children's ministry, he had a whole section, he had a whole heart about that. And, and I think that, that, you know, it's so exciting for us to, to, to help the kids learn. And give them an alternative to just garbage. Verse 17 says that he left them and he went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Jesus left them there. And he went to the city of Bethany. Probably, most likely, he stayed at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus there in the town of Bethany. He would be back, though. He would be back. Again, 1 Corinthians 6, so let, me read, let me quote it to you again. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. I want to close with Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, if you'll turn with me. Psalm 139, one of the most well-known psalms, incredible psalm. You wake up in the night, go open the book of Psalms. Psalm 139 and the whole psalm, I could just go back at all the different parts of it. Let's just look, though, at verses 23 and 24. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a prayer. The temple that, that you and I are, our thoughts, our heart. It's just God search us. We have a, we're going to sing it here in a second, these very words. Uh, Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me, try me, and know my thoughts. And see if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. That's what our prayer is. That's what our heart's desire is. We're going to have communion here in a minute, too. And, and uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11... Uh, Paul says in speaking about the communion, he said a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. We've got to examine ourselves. 
I think, you know, we have communion every five weeks, and, and it is a time just, again, just to focus back on the cross, just to, to ask and, and to renew and, and restore our commitment, our walk, our hearts and lives before Jesus. There's another verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 where Paul says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. He says, Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? He says, Examine. See, are you really in the faith? And, and if you are, then Jesus Christ lives within you. And it's, it goes along with what we're talking about here, that, that, that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And it matters what goes on inside the temple. Obviously, Jesus makes that very clear. It matters what goes on inside the temple. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Some of us are here this morning. You don't have a clue what I'm talking about because you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to ask him into your heart and life. You need to open your life and say, Jesus Christ, please come in. I, I, I am so lost without you. I, I, I can remember clearly in my own life being so lost, and I knew that I was lost. Wish I had pictures to show you how lost I was. You go, no, that's not the same person. Again, there's been a lot of healing in my life since then. But, but I was so lost, and you know, we are lost without him. And maybe that's you this morning, and you need to open your heart and life right now and say, Jesus, please come in. I need to find the truth. Jesus said he is the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. So today is an opportunity. We're going to partake of communion, and this is a, uh, what better time than this for you to give your heart and life to Jesus and, 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 and offer yourself to him and then partake of this communion cup as a as a celebration of what he did for us at that cross some 2,000 years ago. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come and we bow our hearts and our lives and our minds. We quiet ourselves before you. Lord, we, we've looked at your word, how there are things that, uh, that are not pleasing to you and that, that, that were there in the temple area, and, and uh, you did something about it, and you cleared it out. But there were things you wanted to have there, your word and your and prayer, and healing, and worship, and praise. May that be true of our fellowship, first of all, Lord. And, and the, the other churches here in Rhode Island, we pray for revival in, in, in all of the churches, Lord, that, that if we've left behind that um, true love, that, that first love, if we've left behind your word and, and worship, and we pray that the churches in our state, Lord, would, would come back to the basics of just worshiping you and studying, reading your word and, and hearing from you and, and praying, fellowshipping. God, bring us back to the things that matter. I pray that for our own lives as well, Lord. You'd keep us on that straight and narrow. And even though you may have cleared us out a while back, you're back maybe to clear us out again of stuff that just is junk and just needs to get out, and you want to clear it out, overturn it, drive it out, that, that there might be holiness and purity and, and, uh, and joy and peace and true life and love within us. God, only you can do that. We pray that prayer this morning. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, 
O God, and know my thoughts. We pray that we, we surrender to you in that. I pray again here this morning for any that, that are, are, are just outside looking in and that, that they want to hear about that life and that love. I pray for them as they simply take this moment now, right here and right now, and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I'm so lost. I need answers. I need truth. Come in and change me. Come in and heal me today, February 27, 2011. May this be the day that I surrender to you today and find hope and eternal life at the cross. Father God, for each one of us, we're all, we're all needy. We're all messed up in one way or another. Lord, we come and we, we say, God, have your way in us. Have your way in us, Lord. And as we come to worship at, at the cross, as we come to pray again and, and think of the cup and the bread, we ask you, Lord, to meet with us here in a very, very special way, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.